All right. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. Good to see you guys. Uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of 2 Timothy this morning. And we'll start there and uh, see how we do. Um, Any of you going skiing or snowboarding this winter? Any plans for that? Let me see a hand if you're you're planning on going skiing or snowboarding. Okay. Uh, Here's what happens skiing and snowboarding often is that uh, you, you rarely find someone who is your exact level or pace at these kinds of sports. So what happens is, if you're the slow person, you constantly feel like you're rushing to kind of keep up. And the more that you rush or try to go faster at something, uh, often the worse that, that, that you do at it. And so then it ends up getting more and more frustrating. If you're the person who's better at it or faster at it, you're constantly waiting for people. And so you're kind of standing around and this and that. Uh, so, uh, so one person uh, who actually is sitting in this room uh, this morning uh, was, was there when uh, snowboarding was outlawed on many slopes amongst California and Nevada. And um, he and his group of compadres were skiing and I was snowboarding. Now, after you get off of a chairlift, you have to stop and strap up every single time. You know this, and it's a common, normal thing now. But back in the day, that just made skiers really bored because they had to stand there and wait around while their friends strapped up and, and got his snowboard going. Here's why I'm bringing up the snowboard story. It's really far bigger of a story than it needs to be. But here's why. This morning, you will be sitting here, and you actually have the capacity to listen at a, at a clip of four to five times faster than I'm speaking. Does that make sense? So as I'm talking, you could be taking in four to five times as much as what I'm saying. This is why when you're sitting in church, your mind begins to wander sometimes. It's okay to acknowledge that. Mine does too, sometimes from the front. That's where it gets scary. But if your mind wanders this morning, here's what I want to say. It's the last Sunday of the year. Let's just be okay with that, okay? Let's let our mind wander a little bit. In fact, this morning, I'm kind of setting up the morning. Uh, There's no notes for you to to have to follow along with. There's one slide. It's your bulletin cover. You don't need to worry about what's going on behind you as much. I just want you to let your mind wander a little bit. We're actually going to take a look back um, at the previous year a little bit. Uh, Rather than just allowing this morning to be a season of remembering or a time of remembering, uh, like for nostalgic's sake, like, oh, remember when, that kind of a thing, I want to allow our remembering to go to a place that will grow us, um, that will possibly cause us to give thanks in areas that we haven't given thanks for this year or maybe in a while, um, and also allow it to be a place where we could actually rejoice in some of the things that God has done this last year. God created the human being uh, with, with great capacity for knowledge, but also a great capacity to forget. We can take in so much, but isn't it incredible how much information you can forget? That's, that's the, the truth of the matter. The Christian actually has a duty to remember. It's a task, it's a responsibility, it's an obligation. It's something that God has said, I am calling you to remember Let me just give you a little bit of a remembering overview of the Bible. Here's what God remembers. God remembers his promises. That's a really, really good thing. God's saying, I will remember my promises. In the Psalms, you often hear someone crying out saying this, God, remember your promises. And it's calling God out to do something he'll already do, which is remember, but it's a, a source of peace. 
Hebrews 6 says that he will not forget, which is another way of saying he'll remember, your work and your love for people. He's talking to the church there. He will not forget. He will remember your work and your love for the people. Isaiah 49 points out that he remembers us. And it's this precious thing saying, even if a woman were to forget this baby nursing, I won't forget you. I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. The fact that God's not going to forget us. And finally, he remembers our sins no more in Christ Jesus. How about some of our rememberings? We're told to remember the Sabbath, right? We're told to remember our Creator. We're told to remember the wonders that God has done. We're told to remember the poor. And today we're going to do this, but Jesus said as he was about to depart, do this in remembrance of me. He actually gave us an activity to do it, a tangible way to to drive this, this memory in. Why? Because we're prone to forget. Or are people just prone to forget? Now imagine you're driving along and, um, and you have rearview mirrors hopefully here, here, and roughly here. And uh, let's just talk about two extremes with looking at rearview mirrors. One is to never, ever, ever check your rear view. And people sometimes go through life never, ever looking back. And what happens when you never look back is that you actually waste the hurts and the failures and even the successes that are all around you. And I say you waste it because uh, you, you may find yourself in a pattern of behavior and you're kind of mystified of why these same things keep on happening to you year after year. Why do I get like this? Well, you've never looked back. You've never examined what got me here. What's the, what's the root of this? Why am I doing this again? If you're driving a car and you never look back, you tend to, uh, to cut people off. You tend to, to uh, cause problems around you. The same is true in life. Here's the opposite extreme. The opposite extreme, of course, is to stare at the rearview mirror, right? Now, if you stare at the rearview mirror, this is the person who's constantly living in the past. Remember when? And wasn't that person great? And those times were so good. And all the while, the people with you are thinking like, hey, what about me? I mean, what if from the front, all I ever talked about was a church I'd been at before here? And all the stories and all that God did was at some other church, People here in our midst would say, uh, what's, what about now? What's happening now? And some people actually really live stuck in the past. And if you're driving a car and you're looking in the rearview mirror like this, you can't be going forward with very much confidence or purpose. Right? You're just going to, maybe you're inching along, but even then you're probably running over a garbage can or a tricycle or something. You're not doing some, something good, right? So those are the two extremes. I think most people don't live in the two extremes, but... This morning, what we want to do is we want to take a glance. The, the way that you check your rearview mirror is actually a great way. There's kind of a season to it, a little pattern to it as you're driving along. Periodically, you ought to check your rearview mirror, kind of see what's going on around you. That's what we want to do this, this morning is to, is to check our rearview mirror a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2. Um, we're going to uh, actually flip, flip over a page and look at 2 Timothy 1 for a minute. <clears throat> In 2 Timothy 1... He actually brings up the word remember uh, and remind a couple of different times. And it sets up this thing where, where, uh, where, where Paul's writing to Timothy, a, a young pastor. Paul's at the end of his career, at the end of his life, really. He's passing on words to a young pastor. And he's telling him, remember this, remember this. It's kind of like you're, you're near the end. And I mean, if I'm a grandpa and I've got my family around me, I'm going to be telling him, don't forget these things. I'm going to tell him to, to remember certain things. 
Think about vision for a minute. I want you to think about how, how does your vision improve, okay? Now, physical vision improves with, with a, a proper diagnosis and glasses, maybe, right? You're like, oh, I can see. That's kind of nice. LASIK surgery improves it, I suppose. But I'm talking about, like, like life vision. The way vision improves, here, here's one of the ways that, that, that your vision for your life improves. Um, it's it's the, the, the power of time, Okay? Think about this. If you're, if you're kind of marching forward into 2010, go back in time with me for about a year. It's the end of 2009. There are a handful of moments as you entered into 2010 that you thought, man, if I could only know that day was going to happen on that day, I would have prepped for it better. If I knew that was going to be the result of my saying this, I would have written myself enough sticky notes to wallpaper my entire bathroom to say, do not say that under any circumstances on that day. You would have wished for a couple of do-overs in 2010, I'm sure of it. Here's what's interesting. As you kind of look bleary-eyed into the future, it's foggy, it's hazy, there's not a whole lot you can really see. But now that we're at the end of 2010 and you're kind of looking back on 2010, it all kind of like comes into focus, right? Right? It all kind of starts to become, maybe not quite 2020, you still don't know all that's going on, but it starts to become a lot more clear of what's going on. The only thing that changed in that same person involved was the passage of time, right? And time has a way of allowing you to see a bigger picture of what's going on than kind of being stuck in the moment. You and I are prone to a serious cases of amnesia. Let me read 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. I just wanted to highlight that the word remember and remind is in, verse, is in, uh, is in chapter 1. But 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's talking to a young pastor, training him how to be a pastor, what it means to be a pastor. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Three little illustrations there. Military, athlete, and farming. Verse 7. Think over, or some of your translations, I know NIV says, remember. I want three words to stick in your mind this morning. One is remember. Remember or think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Uh, Reflect. I said remember, the word is reflect that I think NIV says. The word reflect means to ponder or to meditate. I want to give you just a couple of thoughts about the idea of, of reflecting and reflection. For some of you, this comes exceedingly natural, and you could come up here and teach a course on how to reflect because you're just good at it. You do it all the time, and it comes to your mind all the time. Others of us, that's a bit of a challenge. Here's one reality about reflection, that there's no shortcut to spiritual insight. It just takes time to gain spiritual insight. He brings up three people who understand this. 
someone in the military being trained, someone who's an athlete, and someone who's a gardener. All three of those actually have similar traits, and parents understand this as well. There are some things you can't hurry, that you can't rush. You have to put in your dues. You have to put in the time. We have a garden back here that's flourishing. We get to have a neat conversation. We had a little garden party going on a couple days before Christmas. And some of our neighbors were back there. One said, man, I've been here in these apartments for 45 plus years. I've never seen this land done for anything good. Is this part of the church? And we just got to start sharing a little bit about what's going on with the garden. Well, the garden has taken time to flourish, right? We put some seeds in the ground. There was just dirt. Very unimpressive. Very boring. Just dirt and boxes. You're like, yippee, that was a lot of work for nothing. But some neat things have started to take place. That's a little metaphor for how we're, we're growing as a church, as people. You can't hurry love. You can't hurry vegetables. Uh, number two is this. Reflecting involves focus. Uh, you and I have uh, the, the ability to, to reflect on different things. Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 to 3 says to meditate on God's law. Meditate on God's law. Psalm 19, verse 14 says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. That means the meditation of our heart can be unpleasing to God. The meditation of our heart can be pleasing to God. And frankly, God's given us the Holy Spirit. God's given us a conscience that just says, Yeah, this is something I should be camping out on in my thoughts. This is something I shouldn't be camping out in my thoughts. The meditation of our hearts, we want to be pleasing to God. Now, some of you in this room might say, whoa, slow down. I'm I'm new to church. I don't know about this whole meditation thing. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me just say this. If you have the ability, the skill to worry, you already know how to meditate. Okay? It's true. Here's what worry is. Worry is taking something, often something that we can't do anything about, and we're focused on that problem. We're focused on that situation. We're focused on that pending due date, whatever it is, deadline. And we're thinking on it. And we're chewing on it. And we're mulling it over. And we're running through scenarios. It's just a shift of focus to go from worry to meditating on the laws of God. From worry to meditating on what a trustworthy God we have. When you find yourself worried, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. But be thankful for everything and pray about everything. When you find yourself in worry, you know what you should do? You should just repent. Just breathe a quick sigh. Lord, I'm sorry for worrying. I'm, I'm indicating that you're not in control with this. And shift your attention to God's sovereignty and God's bigness. Number three is that reflecting is an act of your will. Now, this is a stretch for some of you, I think, but I, but I, I still believe it's true. That, that is that you can choose to remember or forget. It's an act of your will of where you drive your brain. And the Bible has different passages of Scripture that that instruct us and that teach us. Even the passage I was just mentioning in Philippians 4, 6 about being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. That's an act of your will. God, I need help with this. I keep worrying. The more you worry, the more you're kind of in that rut. The more you're meditating on that, you're, you're carving it deeper and deeper. You ever drill something? You get a little pilot hole going, right? Just get a little pilot hole going the other way and start, start to meditate that way. And say, Lord, I am going to choose as an act of my will to remember certain things. I'm going to choose to remember you. I'm going to choose to remember your wonders. 
Some people, I think, are on a lifelong escape from the past. And we see this kind of borne out in culture, and some of you may be that person sitting in this room. Some of you may have family or friends that, that it's just it's plain to everyone around them that they're just running. They, they just don't ever want to deal with something that's hurtful in the past. But, but equally destructive and equally, I think, just life-sapping is having this lifelong vigil for something that happened five years ago, two years ago, ten years ago, and staying camped out in that place. God wants to heal you from that. God wants to, to move you on from that. God wants to use that in your life to, to grow you, be a comfort to you, so you can be a comfort to other people. You all probably have different ways of reflecting. Let me just tell you, here's, here's one of the ways I like to reflect. I really, I'm a people person, but I really like to get away by myself once in a while and get totally away from people and just be kind of still with my thoughts, not have a big Bible reading thing I'm going to do or a book I'm going to do, but just to just be still before the Lord. That allows me to reflect. Another way I like to reflect is this. I like to sit down with someone over a really good cup of coffee. I like to look them in the eye, and I like to say this. How are things going? And then, and then really like be in a setting where I get to hear the answer to that question. And what that prompts, think about it. What that prompts is reflection. People ask me all the time. I've, we've gotten to visit with friends who are from out of town over the last week or so. They're coming in town. We're, we're, we're connecting. And so how are things going? It causes you immediately to kind of look back and go, well, what, what, what is going on in my life? And there's something really powerful about sitting there um, discussing what's new in, in life. For some of you, it takes the form of jur- journaling or scrapbooking, small group accountability, family retreats, taking walks. I'm not sure what that is, but if you haven't done so already this, this season, I would say Carve out some time for this. Don't let 2010 close without some time of reflection. Here's some ideas for families. Maybe you begin to create a culture of of reflection in your home by really asking and listening to the question, how are you doing? We use that as a greeting all the time. I'm guilty of it as well. But there's a difference when you go to your kid and you really ask individually one of your kids, how are things going? Now, I, I recognize if it's Micah's age or something, you know, if they're one or two, they'll go, and they'll spit up on you, and then you go, okay, you need changing. You know, that's, that's his answer. But as they get older, just to look into someone's eyes, spouses, if you haven't done it in a while, take some time. Don't talk about bills. Don't talk about schedules. Look across the, the table at each other. Say, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And just, and just let that conversation start to flow. I would challenge you... Uh, Maybe moving forward uh, is, is to read less and reflect more. I said at the start, we have the incredible capacity for knowledge, but we have such a huge capacity to forget. And I'm not sure the value of all this content in, in, in. Every week, someone gets up here, and they're, and they're, they're, they're preaching content. And if there's never allowance for it to soak in, it's just, I mean, it's just fire hose over the ground without it ever really getting to, to, to sink in. When you finish a good book, go back over and, and read what you highlighted. Look where you folded the pages, if you fold pages in books. Look where you took some notes. Some of you are horrified. Never would I fold a page in a book. <laughs> Reflect on the book a little bit. If it's worthwhile, read it again in a couple of years. But there's an endless stream of things, and some of us are hungry for what's new and constantly getting knowledge or information, but it's not really changing us much. 
This applies to Sunday morning worship. Paul says here, reflect on what I am saying, catch this, for the Lord will give you insight. Here's how this applies to Sunday morning gathering. Hopefully this coming year, you'll join us every single Sunday to come as God's people and celebrate what God's done as a family, but also to get to hear the word of God proclaimed. But rather than just hearing it and walking out and waiting for the next one a week later is to reflect on what is being set up here. Catch this, for the Lord will give you insight. That means there's value not only in listening to teaching, but on thinking and discussing teaching. That's where community groups fit in. If you're not in a midweek community group and you're getting once a week uh, teaching up here, that's great, that's content. But isn't there so much power in debriefing that and talking that through with someone? Hey, Dave said this. Ben said this from the front. I guess speaker said such and such from the scriptures. How does that really play out? That sounded really, really cute the way it sounded on Sunday morning. But I don't get that on Tuesday morning uh, at 6 a.m. That does not fly with me. How does this pan out? And to allow other people to speak truth into your life. And, and to, to have you get to help shed light as we look to the scriptures and let that inform us. That's how reflection goes on. You know what it means, too? It means that as a preacher, I get to stand up here with complete confidence. I want you to know I pray every single, I pray through the week, but I pray before uh, Sunday mornings. I say, God, I really want this to be your message. I've prepped and I've prepared and I've done things. I want you to be speaking this morning. So if there's parts that aren't needed, you, you take them out. Here's what's hugely comforting as a person preaching the word of God to people on a Sunday on a fairly regular basis. Is that the Holy Spirit is like this massive safety net for me. That says that whatever I preach, it will be fallible because I'm flawed. It will not be perfect. It will not be uh, perfectly productive for you. However... It's like the Holy Spirit's going to come in and make up my lack. So if I come in and I go, man, I didn't feel like I preached that good. That may be totally true. But God comes along and says, I'm going to be the one who's going to, who's going to make up your lack. If this is being done in the Spirit, this is being done for my glory, then you get the words out. That's why we open our Bibles every week. Because at least what we're reading here we know is from God. So, so let it rest on your ears. Let it rest on your life. And then, and then pray over it. And let the Holy Spirit remind you of what I'm saying. Reflect on what I'm saying. Here's the second word that I want to give to you. The word remember. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is an absolutely great text for this morning because we're in the Christmas season and we're celebrating communion. And that's what this is saying to remember. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's what communion's all about. We're celebrating that fact this morning in a really tangible way. We're also remembering that Jesus was the descendant of David. How many of you heard at this Christmas time story or sometime during the season, descendant of David? That's part of the Christmas story. That means it's this specific Jesus of Nazareth, not another one. And that's what we're doing. All through the Bible, we're told to remember, if we were in the Old Testament, we'd be well-schooled in how to build altars. Altars were basically piles of stones that were put in a certain location, and they were built there. God would say, build an altar here for what reason? To remember. When your kids, generations from now, say, why are those stones built up again? What's this altar all about? 
And great-grandpa, the one that was closest to that generation, would say, well, let me tell you a story that I heard from my grandpa. And that was that we were stuck at the Red Sea, our people, as we were, as we were being led out of Egypt. And something unlike had ever happened before happened, and God parted the Red Sea, and we came across on dry land. It was a miracle, and we're here this day because God rescued us. And they tell their people, they tell their kids what's going on. They're remembering them. It's not all that foreign concept to us. We have tombstones. We have statues. We have wedding rings. We have baptism. We have communion. There's something about a physical, tangible thing that helps us remember these kind of spiritual, ethereal concepts that's really, really helpful, isn't it? There's nothing really about this wedding band that says all that marriage means to me, but there's something really powerful to look down and see that on my finger. And I love to to watch people get married and slip that on. And just think, man, this is representative of so much more. As we celebrate the Lord's table this morning, we're going to get to to taste and touch and see that the Lord is good and all that that that, that, that means to us. Some of you might be sitting here and thinking about the Lord and what he's done in your life and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be assured a hope and a future. You might be saying, Dave, you know, you're telling me to remember, but I would say, how, how could I forget? How could I forget what the Lord's done? That's a, that's a great place to be. To say, man, I don't need help remembering. I just, I, there's no way I'd ever forget that. But here's the thing. It's not necessarily that the correct answer can't be retrieved. But for some of us, it's just not on the forefront of our brain. It's not on the tip of our tongue as we're talking to people. We find ourselves scheduling and thinking on and mulling over really pretty temporal things that will wash away in about a month's time. We won't remember much of what we're so concerned about, so consumed with right here and now. Paul says to remember a few things. The gospel, he says, I'm in chains for it. I'm suffering for it. The gospel is this reality that Jesus is raised, glorified, that you're part of a kingdom that will never end. You have purpose and meaning. You're prepared to leave this life. You're a delight to God. Remember the gospel. I would challenge you with the same things. Remember that fundamental part of what we're here. Parents and kids understand about remembering and forgetting. I'm not sure if this is true in your home, but here's how it was in my home growing up, and this is how it is in my home right now. I tell my kid to do something, and I might even say, don't forget, da 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 Common answer, I know. Common scenario, they don't do what was just mentioned. Why not? Common answer, I forgot. Now, um, if you think about it, much of discipline, which is just you know, positive and negative instruction, but you're, you're training up this child. But much of child training uh, involves creatively reminding them what to do that's good and creatively reminding them not to do what's bad. And a lot of it's the same thing. And it feels very repetitious as a parent. And you have to be creative to keep coming at it in new, fresh angles. And your brain marvels at how your child can forget in such a short period of time. Take a quick look in the mirror and just imagine how God feels. I mean, it's us all over again. We're the kids in the story. Parents, we're the ones who say, I can't believe I did this again. And we kind of offer up a similar kind of, I guess I just forgot. Forgot the misery of this. 
Anytime you've ever had a near miss on an accident, you think, I'll never tailgate again. You find yourself tailgating. You get pulled over, but you don't get the ticket. You're like, man, I'm not going to speed anymore. The next day, you forget. I mean, it's just, it's, it's constant for us. This is why the gathering of the saints, coming together around the Lord's Supper, coming together in community groups, is so vastly important as to remind one another. Final word is remind. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Then he goes on to give some other instructions. Reflect, remember, and remind. You think about a good coach. You know what good coaches are all about? Good coaches are all about reminding their players of things. A coach standing behind, like in hockey, standing behind the bench, you see them constantly yapping. They're tapping on the shoulder. They're whispering in the ear. Sometimes they're bringing the whole team around. They're giving instructions. You know what they're doing? They're not telling them new information. Hey, I have an idea. On the face-off, try to win the puck back and try to, you know, try to score a goal. Uh, that's not, they, they, they know this. They've been playing since they were little kids. I would venture to say almost any coach that you see on a Sunday NFL game or basketball, whatever, they're not telling them brand new things. Little observances. Hey, remember we told you this was a fast run-and-gun team? That guy's killing us over there. Constantly pulling back to the past. Fundamentals. Basic kinds of things. This is a little bit of what Paul's doing to, to Timothy here. He's a good coach. He's just reminding him of the fundamentals. Don't forget... Remember, remember the gospel. All of chapter one is remembering people in prayer. Remind, I remind them to fan into flame the gifts that the Holy Spirit's given to them. These are basic new things. A new Christian ought to understand these kinds of concepts. But we need this this kind of ongoing reminding, don't we? Turn to Second Peter for a moment. Peter was another coach, and in Second Peter chapter one, I'll give you a second to turn there. We get to see a little bit of the job of leaders in the church, not just pastors or elders or missionaries or maybe visible leaders, but other kinds of coaches, community group leaders that are shepherding people, that are pouring into people. You can be a shepherd of one person as you're mentoring someone. I hope if you're not pouring your life into someone, Christian, that you actively seek out, Lord, who is it I'm supposed to be pouring my life into? Not just receiving more and more content and praying one day someone's going to ask me of the reason of why I have this hope in me. It hasn't happened in 20 years, but I'm hoping this is the year. That's an issue. That's a problem. Find someone to be pouring your life into. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this. Um... I'm sorry, start, start in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to, here's the word, remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He's going to die soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Remind, reminder, recall. Much of church leadership, much of being a community group leader, is not dreaming up new content, being really, really insightful with every nuance of life. 
It's reminding people of the fundamentals. You ever have a friend or a family member come to you and they're just like, wow, on the other end of the line, they're going completely berserk about something? Your head's completely clear because you're not in the moment. You're not in that context. And you're able to just gently talk them through what's happening. Once in a great while, my wife will call me and there are about 90 voices on the other end and they're all talking at one time. And they're in some kind of an echoey chamber. And so it just sounds like this kind of cacophony of noise pouring out at me. And it's not a choir of angels right now. It's just opposite. And I'm, I'm listening, and I'm trying to hear what my wife needs in this moment. And I'm sitting in a really calm, peaceful office. I've had an amazing time in the Word of God. I have a candle burning. It's, it's quite pleasant. I have literally offered my wife to come and swap places at times. Because I know I'm like, you just need to come and hang out with God's Word. I'll go be with the, the angels right now. Um, <laughs> But I'm on the phone, and here's what I do. You know what I can do? I can just kind of calmly kind of, kind of bring about the fundamentals of things. If dinner's not happening, we will, we will eat. We have food in our home. I don't own a gun. We don't need to shoot anything for dinner. No one's going to starve. Uh, peanut butter was invented for such occasions. So we will eat. Like, that's not really an issue. Um, the fact that that broke, whatever. And we can just kind of calmly talk. You know what it is? It's nothing new, Right? It's just that you can come and you can offer a bit of perspective and you can kind of come in and, and, and remind of things that are, that are totally known. And that's, that's a part of what, uh, what this morning is about. The other, the other role of church leaders, and Peter's doing it here, is he's preparing the body for their absence. There will, there will be some changes in 2011, and there will be some changes that we don't even anticipate yet. But some of the changes are this. Uh, Robert Klinkenbeard stepped into a really big change, a, big, a really big role this year, for instance, with our garden, heading up our, our, our neighborhood garden uh, ministry. And as such, it is taking him away from certain other things that, that he normally filled. Some of you will move from a ministry you're working in right now and start something that hasn't been started yet or dream up something that hasn't been, been, been dreamt up yet. I want to challenge you, if you're serving in a ministry right now, I want you to be thinking in such a way, what are things that I do that I could very easily train someone else in to do? The band is great at this. They constantly have about two or three deep at different roles and functions within the band. Just be training people in to, to, to do what you do. Some of you are amazingly gifted at being with people. Next time you go visit someone in the hospital, you don't think you're doing much. Bring someone with you. Say, hey, would you like to come along? Not because you're the Jedi master of visiting people in the hospital. That's not what it's about. But you know what? You just have a knack for it. And you just say, listen, let's pray before we walk in. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. We're going to minister to the person. But that person sitting next to you can kind of watch and learn what that's about. Go, man, I could, be, I could maybe minister in that way. Some of you are amazingly skilled at, at something else. Bring someone with you. Bring someone into the dialogue with you. If you're leading a community group or, or you're, you have a desire to shepherd people, pursue a leader and say, hey, can I kind of shadow you a little bit and watch what you're doing? Because I want to do that. I want to end our time this morning. We're going to set up for communion here in, in, uh, in just a little bit. But I want to prompt, uh, prime the pumps a little bit for some sharing that might go on. Uh, we're a little bit of a smaller crew uh, today. And for some of you, uh, you wouldn't stand up if you were paid lots and lots of money. So I'm not talking to you necessarily. But some of you... Um, some of you might be willing to just stand up and give testimony, just a short testimony. Say, um, here's, here's what I'm rejoicing in this year. It's been a hard year, but here's what I'm rejoicing in. It's been an amazing year, and I just, I just want to give praise to God. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm thankful for. 
Here's what I'm rejoicing in, but still really, really struggling with and need prayer for. I don't know what kind of sharing uh, needs to go on this morning, um, but, but if God puts something on your heart to, to give public proclamation, public testimony to the greatness of God, there's just something really, really powerful about that, to just call out how good God is. And then we'll move into a time of communion. Let me prime the pumps a little bit. My prayer for you is that 2011 would maybe be a year of simply remembering, reflecting, and being reminded of the really important things in life. Things you already know. Life is short. You should really focus on what's important. Invest in what really matters. I mean, just things that are fundamental, but we tend to forget. Look back on 2010. What were the, what were the top five most exciting things that happened to you this last year? Just think about that for a second. Top five most exciting things that went on in, in 2010. Rhetorical question here, but have you given God praise for those? Have you just involved the Lord in those and say, thank you, God, so much for that? Where was your head and your heart at at the time? Let me turn it around. What were the top five things that you would change? (laughs) Lousy days, lousy situations, bad things that went on, 2010. Here's an interesting thought. How many of those were you in control over? How many of those did you see coming? How many of those did you have a direct part in? (laughs) Maybe there's conflict or turmoil, and maybe you're a, a, a part of that mix. The last question on that one is, what would you do with these five hurts? What would you do with these five bad scenarios that come to mind? God has this way of redeeming, which is simply offering gold in return for our junk. We sing a line that says, he's, he's returned your wasted years. Kind of talking about a prodigal. God has this way of redeeming our hurts, taking our junk and turning it into something really, really good. God may take a hurt that he's comforted you through in 2010 and use you as an instrument of his mercy and grace in someone else's life in 2011. If you don't reflect on it, thank God for it, even just glory in it and say, God, thanks for getting me through it. Your eyes won't be open to other people who may need your comfort. It's good to reflect. It's good to stop and remember. And um, thanks for sharing. It's good to hear just kind of how God has moved in other homes as well and, um, and all of that. I want to invite the band to come on up now and, um, and the ushers would come and begin to pass the elements. Um, as they're coming, I want to read John 14, 26. It says this, Jesus talking, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. What's really powerful as we walk into 2011 is we're, we're going not, a, not alone. We have the Holy Spirit. Those who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit. It's so powerful, too, to know that the Holy Spirit will, will teach you all things. So great teaching is available on all kinds of podcasts and books and all kinds of things. But you're not one book away from having the key to what you need to the Christian life. You're not just, I'm not quite listening to the right podcast because I'm not quite there yet. If you're sealed in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a kind of down payment 
and he's there with you. Let me give you some streams to, to allow the Holy Spirit to run in in your life, okay? Here are some streams. One is if you don't have a reading plan for 2011, if you haven't made some kind of a plan of how you're going to have a steady diet of God's Word in your life, you will not meditate on God's Word. It's great that you have a neat crocheted thing over your door. But that one verse is like having a little stale crumb every day, and that's all you ever eat. You'll be anemic and sick and miserable. So find a reading plan. Many of you have smartphones. Put all that smartness to a reading plan. Come talk to me. I'll show you. Uversion.com is a great place to start. Find a reading plan and get God's word into your life. You don't need to go through the whole Bible nine times with a super Christian mode. Just start getting a steady diet where you say, I'm going to make a commitment to, to meditate on God's law this year. I need a reset more than once a week. Here's the second thing. Discover or recapture what spiritual disciplines are and begin to employ them. Those begin to cut channels into your life where the Holy Spirit provides insight and blessing. You will find yourself sharing insight with someone you had no idea that you really knew on the tip of your tongue because the Holy Spirit has been given ammunition because of the things you've been memorizing. Memorizing God's Word is a spiritual discipline. Stopping and reflecting and meditating on God's Word is a spiritual discipline. Bible intake is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Start to employ the spiritual disciplines in your life. Men's groups, women's groups, Bible study groups, community groups. Find one, get involved, and commit to it. Put it at the top of your list. Not if you get your errands done, maybe you'll make it. If the kids aren't too tired, maybe you'll make it. Put it on your schedule and say, that doesn't move. Now we'll build things around it. Let's let that be the framework and we'll hang other things all over it. Lastly, commit to reflection. Commit to remembering this year. The things that we hear about, Rob saying, man, this is, this is the gift. Those of you who are going through a really rough time right now, keep, keep focused on God's word. Keep focused on the gospel. Keep focused on the, the, the big things of life. Let's pray and then the ushers are going to come and pass the communion elements. I'd ask that you just hold the elements in your hand this morning and we'll take them together after one song. Father, we just praise you that you are the God of the universe. Whether things are great right now, circumstantially, or whether, God, we're in the biggest valley we've ever been in. God, we march forward in 2011 with a humble, quiet confidence that you are on the throne. That, Jesus, you're on our side. That you're risen from the dead, that you've conquered the enemy that death is, freed us from the power of sin. We praise you, we thank you for this amazing grace that we sing about and think about. Would you help us to keep it on the forefront of our mind, the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is a familiar passage out of uh, Philippians 2, but listen to it with, with uh, Christmas on our, on our hearts and minds. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.